0: Frankie Macmillan explores wandering in all kinds of ways, through landscapes and through life, in her new collection of short and ultra-short stories, The Wandering Nature of Us Girls. Many are based on snatches of her own memories, growing up with the freedom to go exploring with her sisters. But she's also imagined the lives of others, including Annie Edson, who miraculously survived toppling over the Niagara Falls inside a barrel in the early 1900s. This is the award-winning Christchurch Writers' sixth book, and she's a two-time winner of the New Zealand Flash Fiction Day competition. We start with Frankie reading from The Wandering Nature of Us Girls.
1: Hawkeyed girls. Us girls had eyes so sharp that from an upstairs window we could see a snail's antlers emerge. We could see blades of grass bow down. We could see the dumb thrushes pecking at the snail's shell. We could see that surrender was not an option. We could see, even without turning around, our mamma in her swimsuit, the way she threw herself fearlessly into the ocean, the way she floated on her back, not giving an inch to that water, not giving a tick for the tides, not caring less about the currents. And when she came out glistening and risen and nothing like the other mamas who sat under sun umbrellas, flicking their bright orange toenails in the sand, we saw our mamma was a wild woman, And if we didn't keep an eye on her every second of the day and every second of the night, we might lose her. And that's why we leaned wide from the window, poked out our heads, testing the night air, listening to the waves, the rumbling driftwood, all the broken things that landed on the shore. Frankie, I wondered, as you were
0: working on the book, Were you writing these stories of all these different durations and some poetry in there too, as a collection destined to live together forever (laughs) between the covers of a book? Or did you start bringing together work that you have been writing over the last few years and found some themes in there?
1: I'd been writing the collection um, since The Father of Octopus Wrestling, and um, when I had about 50 stories, I lined them up to see which ones talked to each other and and found out um, if there were similar themes or similar narrators coming through. And I also found that some of the poetry that I'd written seemed to reflect on some of those themes too. And I quite liked the layered effect that that gave. I did a story, uh, it was called uh, When Kai Fokoruaki Comes, about a couple um, sheltering under a dinghy on on a beach. And I also had a poem about a crab sheltering on the shore, and both spoke about shelter. One was emotional shelter, but one was physical shelter. These two pieces were able to glance off each other, not in an episodic way, but in a way that reflected something different. So I began to like the idea of a hybrid collection of um, whatever I'd written that um, seemed to relate to the theme of wandering could go in this collection. The landscape has a big place, particularly water.
0: Uh, you know, it might be the frozen lake or or the beach, but water is a very strong theme. Did you realise that before you sat down and started reading through these fifty
1: stories? Um, I think I was about halfway through when I realised that water did meander through the collection and it sort of linked some disparate stories together. As a kid, I was terrified of the water, and it's only been in my later years that I've I've gone back to the water. I can only dog paddle, so my head always has to be above the water, alert for danger, but when I'm up in Mohua Golden Bay, my sister and I and my partner, we do a lot of swimming all through the winter, and I think getting over that fear somehow has um, come into the collection that seems to be what I've been writing about water and people in the water and people drowning in the water and
0: I'm going to be very disappointed if the answer to this is no but did you have a small brave animal of a grandmother who swam in winter in the lake naked (laughs) it's a family member
1: but I didn't want to name the family member so I've I've used grandmother and I do that a bit in my stories. They're taken from real life but I often find when I'm working with the characters it's the characters tend to shape the story. And it just seemed to me that the grandmother fitted better. I rather hope that the the truth lies in the the power and complexity of the characters, not the actual details, not the fact that it wasn't my grandmother but it was another family member.
0: Well, I did wonder if you had one of those childhoods that most kids these days sadly don't have, and I I had it too, the freedom to roam. Uh, Although it's got a twist in the wandering nature of us girls, you know, the title story, there's a real twist to that. Um, But, you know, was was that your upbringing? Do you think that's helped you as a writer to have had that kind of freedom?
1: Um, it certainly was my upbringing. I think my mother, um, who is a solo mother most of the time, parented by default. So um, we were just left to sort of wander up the port portholes, um, go off on adventures on our bike. And I remember one time my older sister and my younger sister and I decided one night about 11 o'clock at night that we were going to bike to New Brighton Beach because the beach sort of represented the, the epitome of adventure. And so we rode on these ratty old bikes through the night to New Brighton Beach and it was freezing cold and no lights, no helmet, but we managed to get there and we managed to get home safely. But those were the sorts of wild adventures we had and um, the title story, The Wandering Nature of Us Girls, is taken off a few memories of wandering in the old Coronation Hospital dump up on Kashmir Hills that used to housed tubercular patients. And um, in those days they just chucked everything in a big ravine in the hills and we'd come across all these um, old medical equipment and notes and have a grand old time fossicking around in the dump. And another, I mean, it's,
0: it's quite it's really haunting is that story, and I don't want to give the, the twist in the tale, but the phrase chin up, very much of that time as well, wasn't it? Just get on with it. Things don't go well, chin up.
1: Yeah, and I think... In life, we like the cheerful survivor. And in literature, I think, we don't particularly want to hear tales of people who are wallowing in their victimhood. I think it's much more interesting, the cheerful survivor. So, yeah, I I think that comes through too in the collection. You have moments of pure
0: surrealism here as well, Frankie. So we've been talking about, you know, these memories from your childhood and members of your family names changed but there are those moments as well of the surreal where you really let your imagination fly and take us with you
1: yeah the boy who turned into a stag i think is is one of those surreal ones where i'm just pushing something that could be quite ordinary along and the ordinary thing is that kids go through stages especially in teenagers as a teenager they go through stages and I just wanted to push that further and so I had the idea and I think I had read a poem by a Hungarian poet whose name I can't remember who wrote something about a boy with antlers on his head. So I, I, I put all those influences together and came up with that sort of slightly surreal story. But yes, some of the stories are, are, are quite dreamlike and I like occupying that territory of what if... And and things being exaggerated and colourful, I felt like I got to know
0: Magdalene, who's in one of the first uh, the first poems. The sister we could not fathom. You write uh, stole other women's men and successfully could splint an albatross wing. You know all of these contradictions in her. We meet her first carrying a ginormous
1: fish. Right. Well, the story actually came from a postcard. I think it was a 19th century postcard of a a person walking down a cobbled street carrying a huge fish over their shoulder. And I was just really struck by this image. It brought up biblical images of crowds being fed by loaves and fishes and them being multiplied to feed them all. And so the name Magdalene came from that um, biblical reference. But I also like characters that are a mixture of good and not so good. I don't like characters that are all good or all bad. I like to have some sort of nuance in the character. So she did some pretty terrible things, this character, with the dog, but she also splintered an albatross wing. So I like that play of tension about what is this character that we're dealing with here. One of your
0: longest pieces, and I was transfixed by this one, was Seven Starts to the Tumbling of Annie Edson, Brackets Niagara Falls, 1901. Yes,
1: she was quite a character. I I think she was about 62 when she did this. Um climbed into a barrel and went over the Niagara Falls and was very particular in the measurements of the barrel and um, she did everything that she could to survive because people before her hadn't survived and she did it because she was down on her luck, really poor, and this was her last chance. So there's a sort of a sadness in in this desperation but also I couldn't help admiring the pluck of the woman in doing that.
0: What was it like for you imagining what it would have been like in this, as you say, cold, dark inside of the barrel, tumbling, tumbling, you know, really having no control over the situation.
1: That's right. Well, sometimes I'd lie in the bath (laughs) and I'd just think about her in that barrel. You know, I might even swish my legs up and down, sort of just trying to get some sort of a feeling about that terrible enclosure that she must have felt and the roaring of the Niagara Falls as it came closer, that must have been really quite terrifying. And for days afterwards she was pretty knocked out and had to go to bed and a lot of people thought that she wouldn't survive because I don't think anyone had survived before. They sent a cat over in a barrel once and the cat did survive um, and I think she learnt something from that about the shape of the barrel as to how her barrel was going to be constructed. Some of your stories, and of course you know, you are a specialist in short
0: fiction, ultra-short fiction, flash fiction, are really just two or three paragraphs perhaps on a page. And others, The Wandering Nature of Us Girls, one of your longer short stories, maybe what could be thought of as a more traditional length for a short story. But what if, do you think it's helped you as a craftsperson, a wordsmith, spending so much time crafting very precise short fiction?
1: Um, yes, I do, because um, you have to be very alert to language and every word has to carry its weight. Um, and you can evoke by images a much larger story. So I think it's a very precise form, the short, short form. And it's very similar to poetry. Then things are left unsaid and... There's no particular linear narrative, but we infer um, from what's there a lot of things that may not necessarily be in black and white. So yes, I do think that it's it's good training for um, for writers, and I'm thinking of actually venturing out into the longer form. I have a novella on the back bench, um, and I'm um, certainly the skills that I've developed using the short short form help with the, um, just with the language, I think, and, and characterisation of longer forms. Frankie
0: Macmillan, whose short story collection The Wandering Nature of Us Girls is a Canterbury University Press publication